Good morning, church. This morning, we're going to continue with our series. We are speaking about standing ground. I listened to the incredible testimonies from last week. If you weren't here last week, I really want to encourage you to take some time this week and go listen to the podcast. And what I love about all the testimonies that were shared is that people were sharing about how they had to stand ground in really difficult circumstances. But you know what really got to me is that those people are still standing ground in still existing difficult circumstances. And just listening to those people, the lives that they live and seeing how they they live Jesus amidst real tough and difficult situations is so inspiring because that's really what this series is about. It's, It's helping us as followers of Christ understand our position in Him, but then secondly, our disposition, the character that we keep when things are tough. The position that we stand in when we know him, but our disposition to how do we think about God? How do we apply the promises of God when it feels like it's not working? The endurance that he has for us in times that are difficult. And this morning, I have a real prophetic sense that God is going to set people free. I don't know if you have expectation, but I do. And there's going to be a lot of scriptures this morning. So be ready to be all over the Bible. There's going to be a lot of contemplation there's going to be a lot of application today, so, so be ready for this. But in my preparation, I felt just encouraged in my reading to start with this proclamation for us today. Today, salvation has come to this house. I believe it, that today there will be salvation for some of us, for most of us, and it's available. And this comes out of the story of Zacchaeus, where Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, but he was just a little bit vertically limited, short guy. And there were a lot of crowds around Jesus, so his vertical limitations didn't allow him to see Jesus like the others did. So he climbed up in a tree, and then Jesus has an encounter with him, and Jesus said this over Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house. It's just amazing. And the the interaction the two of them had, and Zacchaeus' response and saying yes to the salvation of Jesus. But here's what I want you to see is he positioned himself in a place where he could see Jesus so that he could be a recipient of the salvation of Christ. So I want us to start this morning and position our hearts so that Christ can bring his salvation to us and set us free of some things that are holding us back in our journey to stand ground. So I want to take a moment to pray. And in my prayer, I want you to personally position yourself. Say, Jesus, I want to come closer. I want to draw nearer. I want to hear your word. I want to understand it. And I trust you that today's salvation will come to me. Can we do that? Let's take a moment. Let's quiet our hearts and let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for this story that speaks of hope that Even in our limitations, Lord, all you ask is that we position ourselves in expectation to see you, to hear you, and to meet with you. So I pray, Lord, that we won't look at our limitations this morning, but that we would position ourselves and our hearts in such a place, Lord, that by the end of this morning and by the end of leaning into your word, we will say salvation has come once again and once more, that Christ Truly is our living hope that he is victorious and he is the one that has set us free. Lord, I pray for every heart that is positioning himself or herself in front of you this morning that you would see and that Holy Spirit, you would speak to every heart this morning as we study your word together in Jesus' name. We all pray. 
Amen. Standing ground is all about running this race with endurance. I love that Lord laid that scripture on Yannicka's heart this morning in, in, in our worship. As we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses that's cheering us on, that says there is a fulfillment of the promise ahead when Jesus returns. So you guys keep running the race with endurance. Don't give up. But for some of us, it just doesn't make sense because it feels like things don't connect. The Bible teaches all the promises of God, but then somehow we find ourselves not exactly living in it. And this is why it's important to speak about the disposition that we stand ourselves in, because so many of us read the Bible and we pick what we like, and this is comfortable to read, but when we skip through the pages of Job where he says, though you slay me, Lord, I will praise you. Those are strong words. And we see it that even Jesus, being fully man, was tempted by this application of the word of God that is the one side that is nice, but the other side that we wouldn't want to do. And we see this when Jesus was tempted, he was in the, in the desert and hungry for such a long time and the enemy came and tempted him and then he said, well, you are the son of man. What did he quote? He quoted the word, you are the son of, son of God. Why don't you cast yourself off this height? Because it is written, the enemy said, that he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up. This is the devil speaking to Jesus. How did Jesus respond? He said, it is also written. This is important. It is also written, you shall not put the Lord your God to test. And somehow, this is the real tricky part of our Christian walk when we see two opposites having to come together and we're living in that tension. And it's maybe because we're not spending enough time in the fullness of this. And we only like the Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says Lord, plans to give you hope in the future, and we proclaim that. But the context is that right after that, the Israelites were put into exile for 70 years, guys. 70 years. Now, the principle is the same. God does plan for us, hope in the future, but there might have been a whole generation that didn't see that happen. And this is the tension and probably the hardest place to stand our ground is this disposition that God is sovereign and he's just and he has purposes beyond our human understanding but he is loving and he is forgiving and he welcomes us and we can come boldly to his throne of grace and he helps us through our endurance and that's why the gospel shines so beautifully and so bright in all of our lives because it's when we get to that place of meeting Jesus and being found in Christ Jesus that these two worlds do come together because our lives are hidden in Christ. And that's where we're going to end again this morning. Our position is in Christ. It doesn't really matter what happens that much around us. We are secure in him. For some of us, we've become disillusioned with God because we only want to quote that the angels will catch us and bear us up like Jesus was tempted. But we also have to quote that, I will not put the Lord my God to test. We've got to understand both sides. And I believe this morning, some of us are going to change our disposition of things that are holding us back. 
things that God wants to deal with in our own walk. We were praying here this morning, and today, believe it or not, I'm going to be very popular. We're going to speak about sin. Okay, can I get a cheer? Ready for this? But it's crazy how when we say we're going to talk about sin, we're like, whew, that's heavy. Hebrews 6 says, this is the most elementary teachings in our Christ pursuit is to speak about repentance from dead works. But in our culture today, you dare not talk about sin because that's the heavy stuff. We should talk about all the good stuff, the angels catching us, all the good stuff, the promises, the fun, the, the wholehearted worship nights. God wants me to remain joyful amidst my trial. He wants me to exchange my spirit of heaviness with garments of praise. So in other words, my spirit is heavy. I'm taking that heaviness off, Lord, and I'm putting on the garment of praise, and I'm gonna praise you, though, like Job said, you slay me, though it feels like Jeremiah said so many times, I am locked in a cave, and you threw away the key. Lamentations. So this morning, we're going to talk about that disposition. The one thing that I realize that we struggle with sometimes in our walk with Jesus is rightly dividing the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker, no need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. If it says rightly dividing the word of truth, doesn't it imply that we can wrongly divide the word of truth? That means that there's some theologies and you can just walk into the bookstore and you can pick and choose whichever one you like off the shelf. There are some things and ideas and theologies that might have been wrongly divided and then we build our lives around that and then we see that it is also written and we're like, oh, this is weird. It's not exactly according to the, the book I'm reading that says every day can be a Friday. I get to just have fun. Um, and there are books like that. You see the, the, the predicament the church is finding itself in. We've got to understand that there's a tension to live in. And it's both these worlds. And our disposition is to live in both. So this morning, I would love to say, breakthrough! And everyone just runs out of the doors and it's a new day. I would love to do that. But this morning, we're going to be thinking through our breakthrough. We're going to actually be applying our minds. And, and here's why. Because we all have emotions and God made us as emotional people. And you can ask Elena, I'm probably one of the worst when it comes to emotions. Sometimes we have just conversation and debate. And then the emotions get the better of me. And then she's just got to allow me to get past my emotion for a little while. Because I'm like that. And then let's just deal with the facts. It's, it's Psalm 73 that we discussed this week in our devotional. Like, he just wanted to let his heart lead him. I lost my footing, Lord. It felt like this. It felt like this. But you know what? Feelings is not truth. And emotion and feelings is important to God, but it's not most important. And some way, somehow, our culture today says it's all about what you feel, and feeling equals truth. But when we see the word of God, truth is truth. And we've sometimes got to think through. So I, I want us to think this morning. We're going to see just now out of Scripture how. But I want us to think through some things that might be the, the very thing that holds us back in our breakthrough. And we can proclaim breakthrough. We can say, let's go and face the enemies and chase them. But may, maybe for you this morning, it's not the enemy without. It's the enemy within. It might just be that you are living in a space where you feel like giving up. 
and it feels like giving in because there's just stuff in you that God wants to bring out and reveal. That's the beauty of the gospel. It's a mirror to our lives and we look at it and he says, I want to touch a few things and I want to untie you from some ideas because I have freedom for you. So this morning, that's what we're going to do. We're going to be using our minds and our brains to think through our breakthrough. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 1 to 5 is our key verses for today. We're going to be reading it together. And this is the encouragement and the word of the Lord to us today. Let's read together. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 1. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold towards you when away. I beg that you to that when I come, I am may excuse me. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. Let's just pause there. Quick few observations. I imagine that Paul kind of said that tongue-in-cheek. You guys say I'm timid when I'm around you, but when I write letters, I'm quite bold. And he says, well, I hope that when I'm around you again, I don't have to be as bold as in my letters because some of you are living according to the standards of the world. Some of you are thinking and you're not standing your ground in this culture that says it's about feeling and about being right and about what you feel and what you think. He says, I hope that I don't have to come and speak to you in a bold manner. And then let's see what he says from there. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And then he explains what those strongholds are. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Quick few observations. First of all, waging war means we are engaged in war. So for some of us, we are aware that there's a spiritual war around, but we disengage. We disengage in many ways. We disengage through comfort. We disengage through relationship. We disengage through just not thinking about it and just, just enjoying life. And I don't want to go there. But we have to engage in this war because this war is happening and it's out and it's real. And then secondly, it says, how do we engage? We engage with weapons of our warfare. But these weapons aren't the same as the weapons of the world. The weapon of the world today seems to be identity politics. I'm this, and because I'm this and I feel like this, you have no right to tell me something else. And and the world is just fighting about identity at the moment. And again, we'll end there today. Our identity in Christ is what makes us secure. But the weapons that we have in our arsenal are weapons of prayer, worship, faith, confession, humility, community, peace, the word of God. These are the things that we use to, to fight. And then we fight with divine power. In other words, not out of our own strength. Maybe for some of us, we've really been trying to fight the enemy and the thoughts or the life that, that feels so broken. Maybe you just need to relent this morning and let the divine power of God fight on your behalf. See, there's so much just in five verses, right? Then it says, we demolish strongholds. This is good. We don't just walk around it and observe it and think, oh, that's interesting. And then maybe give it a kick and an uppercut and think we've done our part and and then maybe a kick and uppercut didn't break it, so then we try another one, and after a while we get out. We demolish the strongholds. 
We take an engaging action with the arsenal of weapons backed by the power of God to come and break down every stronghold that holds us back. That's what he calls us to as the church. We're standing our ground against these strongholds. And then he says very simply, what do these strongholds do? Well, it raises the knowledge against God. And this is the tension again. But God, you're good. Then the arguments and the pretensions, pretensions happen. But if he's good, then why? You see what's happening? God, I'm, I'm supposed to be free. I'm supposed to live in the freedom that you have for me. Did Christ set you free? And then we've got to engage in this war in a profound way and say, we're not going to let these arguments get the better of us. We're going to stand our ground and fight back with the weapons of our warfare. And this morning, I'm going to share with us some weapons that God has given us. And then, in the end, how do we do this ultimately? We think. You're going to take every thought captive to obey Christ. That's the most important thing to all of us this morning. You might be in your 10th year of pain. Maybe God wants you to take all those thoughts and arguments that come against the knowledge of God, take it captive for another year. I don't know. All our stories look different. But I believe this morning, God is gonna deal with our hearts and help us see how we can think through our breakthrough. So I say again, we have to think through our breakthrough. We've got to apply our minds and realize that the biggest battle we fight is not with our sickness, maybe. The biggest battle is not with our hardship. It's not with the lack or the seeming lack. It's not with the difficulty in relationships. The biggest battle we find is the one year where our mind runs amok and it raises up a knowledge against God and the enemy comes and he tells us something else. And we've got to say, I'm taking these thoughts captive to obey Christ Jesus. God God, what weapons do you have available for me to fight this battle with? Can you come and join me, Marcus? So what's happened is we walk this journey with Jesus and bound to us are some of these strongholds. So I want Marcus to walk as far back as he possibly can. And you guys are the great cloud of witnesses cheering him on. So can we cheer him on? So he walks, he walks, and it's going pretty well because he's met Jesus and Jesus has revealed himself to Marcus and he, he loves Jesus, and it's great. And you know what? That first part of the gospel and, and all the promises of new life and freedom, he's living in it. But at some point, he gets stuck. Because it might be that he was only reading the one side and living to the one side. You need to keep going. And then he tries to stand his ground. Now, I can keep Marcus standing there for as long as I want to, because he said yes to this, this illustration. <laughs> keep going. But after a while, this young man is going to get really tired. And what's he going to do? He's going to try and stand and maybe hold on to something or call for some help. But at some point, he's been trying to stand his ground. And he's too tired in himself. And he's knocked back by the divine power that we're going to speak about in a minute. Then if he lets go, it's going to be ricochet all the way back into here. So let go and come back. Just do it safely. I don't want to get in trouble with your mom. So you see, it's pulling him right back. Now, Eugene, I want you to come and join me. So Marcus, come all the way back. Let's give him a hand for being a brave man. Now, I want Eugene to hold this. So here is 
the stronghold. Let's see, you know how the feud is with young boys and their dads? There comes a time in when the boy defeats the dad, and the dad realizes he's a little bit older, and the boy is now strong. So today we'll be the witness maybe of that. But here's the stronghold, okay? Yeah, he's making sure. And here's, here's Marcus, and here's Jesus saying, Marcus, come, I want you to come into everything I have you. Come, walk up to me. Walk up, I want you to come into everything. And he's trying really hard, but this stronghold has got him. How does he demolish the stronghold? What did the Bible say? We demolish the strongholds, how? Through taking every thought captive in the obedience of Christ. So here it is, the obedience of Christ we place on his head. Now you see, he keeps trying, but Marcus, I want you to think how you can get out of this situation. You're pretty close. Think through this. There we go. Can we give him a hand? See, he's battling. I'm going to be free. I want to get out of this. I want to be new. I want to be this. All he needed to do was to think about it for a moment. You see, we want Jesus to jump in and release the button for us. Well, he said, guys, I've given you the weapons of warfare. Use it. Think through it. Apply it. Think through what you could do in this moment that could set you free from the stronghold that's holding you back. Isn't that profound and powerful? And maybe for some of us, we've been standing there so long and you at that point, we just, I'm going to let go. It's like that slippery slide of Buddha Cascanadas where this thing is on your back and you just want to run on the slippery slope and you just keep being pulled back. You see, Jesus is calling each one of us, but he's saying, think through this, take every thought captive so that you can destroy these arguments and strongholds that's pulling you back. How do we apply this this morning? I believe the Lord has given me five through prayer and thinking and conversations with you guys and conversations with the team, five strongholds or arguments that are holding us as a community back that I believe he wants to address today. And here's the thing. He's done the work on the cross. Will we release ourselves of it? That's the invitation. Will we put on the mind of Christ? Now, this, this list isn't all-inclusive. It's not exhaustive. This is not the only thing. I believe there's probably a hundred things that we could mention. And my prayer has been, and we prayed this this morning, that the Lord will reveal to every heart what strongholds are there that you can just click because you are rightly applying the word of truth and the fullness of it in your battle. But the five things that I believe the Lord has showed me, we're going to go through this morning. And the first one is the stronghold of sin. We have the weapon of confession to demolish the arguments of sin. For some of us, we try to give up and we feel like we can't stand our ground and we don't have the breakthrough because we've not applied the weapon of confession. Now, let me just get any imagery out of your mind that you might have seen in a movie where confession is throwing some money in a pan, so that a man of God can hear what you've got to say. It's not what I'm referring to. Confession is to use your mouth and your words to say, God, I confess that I have fill in the blank. It's interesting to think that there is this notion that once you come to Jesus and you're saved through the grace gospel, that you don't ever have to say Things again, but it's in the word, guys. Can I take us there? 1 John 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, 
There it is. The weapon of confession. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Let's just look at that verse. Some of us don't have the fullness of the word and we're not rightly dividing it and we say we don't have to confess. But here it is, you make him a liar if you say you don't have to confess your sins and you're not a sinner anymore and you don't make mistakes. And then the word of God is not in us. But because the word of God is in us, we have a weapon of confession against the arguments of sin. What are the arguments of sin? Well, they are plenty. You are not good enough. You shouldn't tell anyone what you've done because they are gonna hate you for it forever. You should not speak out about that sin because people are gonna look at you differently. Well, the arguments of sin might be, it's not that bad. No one will know. It's just a little lie. And so we find ourselves trying to win and we have the release button in front of us. And all God is saying, just confess it. Just open up your mouth and, and speak about it. And you know what I love about this is he says, if you confess your sins unto God, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you. But you know what? There's a, a greater measure that he has for us. And that's the measure of healing. He says, if you confess your sins to one another, pray and pray for one another, you will receive healing. There it is, James 5, 16. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So for some of us, we find ourselves in brokenness and we're walking around with rocks in our souls of our sin and we just don't feel confident to come to the cross and we feel our souls are broken and battered and bruised and all it is is for you to click and to go up and say, Henry, I've got to speak to you about something I've done. I've got to get it in the light and get it out of my system. Can I tell you what I've done? And you know what is amazing is when people have done that to me before they're so scared but the grace of God in that moment is so beautiful that he just says I welcome you back son I welcome you back daughter I've paid the price for your sin on the cross just use this this weapon of confession every single time use it daily use it weekly use it today if there's something that happened years back that you're still holding inside of you who knows that's what sin does it holds us here right Everyone says that the power of sin is in its secrecy. As long as I can just keep it to myself and it doesn't come out, I'll be okay. You are going to keep on fighting and this stronghold is going to hold you back. But we've got to be a confessing people who apply this weapon of our warfare. This is elementary. I want to say again, Hebrews 6, it says, let us not, not go back to establish the foundations, repenting from dead works. But somehow in our culture, it's been made this we don't talk about it. We don't say it. We don't confess it. There is no sin too great, too deep, too far, too white, too filthy, too broken that Jesus doesn't already know. You see, he, he knows it and, and he's forgotten it when you have confessed to him, but you're not walking in the fullness because you've got to just get it out. You've got to just say it. There's nothing that's too bad for him. And maybe, and we'll get there, you're scared to speak to someone because there's gossip and there's opinions and there's comparison, all the other things that I'm still going to mention today. But if we can be a community where we're safe to confess our sins, we'll be set free and we can hit this release button and walk in the fullness of what he asked for us. And then we can walk it out together. I'm like, you know what, Henry, I've fallen here, but 
a week later, I feel it, the temptation is there. Sin is bringing its arguments again. I need to release this button even before it gets to me. So I'm just gonna tell you, today is a tough day and I nearly slipped. I'm releasing myself of that stronghold. So can we be a people of confession who applies confession against the arguments of sin? I wanna read you something that's put the fear of God back in my life with regards to this topic. Some people think that the Old and the New Testament are two separate things and that the law is abolished and done by and there's no application of that today because of Jesus Christ. Jesus clearly said, I didn't come to destroy the law but to fulfill it because you people can't. You don't have the means to fulfill it. So I will fulfill the law but the law somehow still remains intact. The moral law that God has given us as his beings to live by still remains intact. And in 1 Corinthians, this is New Testament 11, where the supper of the cross is celebrated, communion is celebrated, Paul writes about this. I want you to hear this this morning. He says, let a person examine himself then. And after he examined himself, so eat the bread and drink of the cup. What does that examine mean? Lord, is there any wickedness in me? Is there any sinful way in me? For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, here it is, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Wow, Pierre, you're making church really comfortable this morning. Well, that's not my job. My job is to point to the word. Anyone who eats or drinks, so takes communion without taking a moment to discern his own body. Lord, is there any wickedness in me? Is there anything against a brother, against a sister? Is there any stronghold of sin that I need to confess Whoever does this without examining the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Here's something tricky. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some have died. This is post the cross. Yes, it is. Because the principle still remains. That we've got to investigate ourselves. But then the answer is just right there. But if we judged ourselves truly, if we take a moment to judge ourselves, the way I spoke to someone this week, the way I looked at something this week, I'm judging myself. It says, but if we are quick to judge ourselves, we would not be judged because we're doing the, the work that we ought to do that the communion brings to us. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Ananias and his wife post the cross got some money for something they sold, they bring it to the apostles, they lied about it, and they died. So maybe, for some of us, we don't get the breakthrough in our bodies, in our illnesses, in our struggle, because we haven't applied the weapon of confession and getting rid of the sin and judging ourselves. And this morning, it's a beautiful picture of grace. Jesus is calling you, the stronghold is holding you back, you're feeling the tension in the middle, Hit the release button, guys. Hit the release button. It's available to you. The second weapon of our warfare is the weapon of forgiveness to demolish the arguments of bitterness. I'm not talking about Christ's forgiveness to us. I'm talking about our forgiving others. Hebrews 12, verse 15. Let no root of bitterness spring up by which many has become defiled so that no one fails to obtain grace. See, it's that 
bitterness are one of those things that once it springs up, it might lead us to a place where we fail to obtain the grace of God in our walk. Forgiveness is something we've got to do daily in our relationship with others. You might, in this moment, there's arguments of bitterness coming up in your mind. No, Pierre, that's easy to say. But if you had any idea what he or she did, you see, that's the argument of bitterness. We cancel the argument of bitterness with the weapon of forgiveness. It's interesting that in the Lord's Prayer, the only action in the whole of the Lord's Prayer that applies to us as well is the action of forgiving others. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. All speaking about the attributes of God and who he is and what he does. Give us this day our daily bread. It's him giving us the bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we have forgiven others. Why did Jesus teach us to pray like that? Because he's saying at every opportunity when you pray, you've got to discern the heart and say, is there anyone that I have not forgiven? Hanoi told me just now, a couple of weeks ago, he thought he's free in his area of forgiveness. He's worked through this stuff and he's forgiven and the Lord brought to his attention. 2005, they were in an attempted hijack and the Lord spoke to him a couple of weeks ago and said, you haven't forgiven those guys yet. And he said, it was ugly cry, baby, weeping because there was a root there that God wanted to uproot. That's the faithfulness of the work of the Holy Spirit. I can't stand here and convince you it's the work of the Holy Spirit. And he's gentle to work it out with us. But he's calling us. And for some of you this morning, you might just have to make that phone call or write that letter or deeply think about that relationship that is so difficult to face because God is calling you to forgive. Lord, forgive us as we forgive others. I see a little bit of a coming together there. Again, it's also written. Forgive us as we forgive others. How many times do we forgive? Well, the Bible says 70 times 7. Let's read some things. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say seven times, but 70 times seven times. That also means that sometimes you've got to forgive and forgive again and forgive a third time and 70 times seven times for the very same thing that was done to you. We don't have the ability, like God, to remove sin and forget about it as far as the east is from the west. We are still humans, and we carry scars because of what people have done to us. And sometimes the enemy comes, and he just loves to point out to that scar, like, remember what Ricky did to you? Let me just point that out again. And then the arguments of bitterness rise up in our minds again. That's where we say, I'm going to forgive 70 times 7. I forgive again. I forgive again. You might have to keep forgiving all the way through, but if we can live a lifestyle of forgiveness, that's why I said 70 times 7. The more you do it, the easier it becomes. That's the weapon of our warfare against bitterness in our own hearts. And bitterness are one of those soul things that sits inside of us. And just like we read, it makes us sick. It makes us down. It makes us feel dark. Can we be people who forgive like Jesus has forgiven us? The third weapon is the weapon of following to demolish the arguments of comparison. Whew. Okay, you guys ready for this one? Some of us might seemingly suffer because we compare our lives to other people and we think what they have is meant for us as well. And then somehow we call ourselves sufferers because their lives look like this and my life look like that. 
And why would they have that and I don't? And we fall in the trap of comparison. And this is difficult. This is deeply difficult. Especially if there are deep desires and things you're trusting God for and it seems to just be happening to everyone else except you. But I want to take us to what Jesus said. Jesus has just in a stunning way restored Peter after Peter denied Jesus. And then Jesus told Peter, Peter, I want to tell you that you're going to die a terrible death. There's some suffering ahead of you. And this is how you're going to die. And he tells him the whole story. You know what Peter does? He turns around and he looks to John and he says, when Peter saw him and he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. The weapon of following Jesus against the arguments of comparison. So I'm walking this life and I'm comparing myself to Sean because he's just got what I want. And he's, look, the way that he walks with Jesus and every answer prayer that he has. I don't know Sean's life, but I'm comparing. And Jesus says, can you take your eyes off one another and put your eyes on me and follow me and stop comparing? What is it to you, Pierre? That Ricky doesn't age and he still looks as young as a 15-year-old young man. What is it to you? What is it to you? What is it to you, Pierre, that Neil just has a way to think through things in a very strategic way and, and you're just an emotional guy? What is it to you, Pierre? You see, when we compare, we can't even celebrate one another. Because we walk in this comparison and then we as the church community don't live in the freedom that God has for us. Jesus said it, guys, take your eyes off one another. Ladies, take your eyes off one another. Don't worry. I choose what I will. I let the rain fall on the righteous and the wicked. And ours, Lord, is not to reason why it is, the scripture says. So stop comparing and you follow me. Because it's in your following of me that everything I have for you, the difficult and the great and the wonderful, will fall into pleasant places. As the psalmist says. So let's not be a comparing people. The weapon of encouragement to demolish the arguments of gossip. So here I really believe this was a prophetic lead of God. You know what gossip does? It breaks the community that we have. And in seasons and moments where we've got to stand our ground, we desperately need our community. But if we walk around with gossip in our mouths, it breaks the trust and the unity in the community that we have received by the blood of Jesus. And somehow, I read it this week, someone said gossip has kind of fallen into the no man's land of sin. It's okay. We've got spousal rights to discuss someone with our husband or our wife. It's okay We've got to discuss the situation of what that person has done or who that person is with one another so that we can just get some context. And then we walk around. You know what gossip does? It hurts three people. It hurts you because it brings in you that sinfulness of speaking about someone else. It hurts the party that's listening that should have never heard about it in the very first moment. And it hurts the person that you're speaking about. So there's just a three-way brokenness that's applied the moment that we gossip. And it seems to be, again, the culture that we're in. 
You read the tabloids, you watch social media, it's just, it's everywhere. If we can gossip, it's okay. And the church have kind of fallen into a trap that it's okay, but it's become a stronghold that's kept us back from deep, meaningful relationships and a unity in his church that is so beautiful that it commands the blessing of God. Maybe the church would see the full blessing of God if we live in the unity that he paid the price for on the cross. And we say, no more will we speak ill of anyone. No more will we listen when they're speaking ill of, every, of anyone. And you know what? When you stop comparing, what's the need in any way to speak ill of someone else? Maybe that someone else is doing the ministry that you so desire to do. And then you talk to someone about it. You know, I've got, just got a process. Can we change the word process into gossip? I just want to gossip. <laughs> and the stronghold holds us back. But we've got the means to release it today. How do we do it through encouragement? Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up. So any other word that doesn't build up is corrupt. As fits the occasions, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do you want to be a conduit of judgment, speaking judgment to those that you speak about to others? Or do you want to be a conduit of grace? Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge, capital, is standing at the door. We should be an encouraging community. And in our encouragement, we set one another free. In our encouragement, don't mind what Stephen has done. And someone might be like, oh. I'm like, I don't care, I don't want to hear it. Don't even tell it to me. Because it's going to change my perspective of Stephen. And you know what perspective really matters about Stephen is the one that Jesus sees of him beyond the cross. So that's the one I want to focus on. I want to call greatness out of Stephen. Or when Heinz gets to lead a moment that I really wanted to lead, on the Sunday morning, because I'm the pastor, it's my job to lead these moments, and I get a little insecure, and then, oh, Heinz, yeah, he just likes taking his moment. You see the things that happens? Let's not fall into that trap. And then lastly, the weapon of position to demolish the arguments of victimization. When you are secure in your position in Jesus, you will not be a victim of anything. then it really does not matter what life throws at you. You are in Christ. And this is maybe, I ended here on purpose, but this is maybe where we all have to move back and start again. See, this message is pretty much the same as it's been this, this whole three weeks. It's not nothing new. Let's find our confidence in Christ. Let's position ourselves in Christ. But Paul and Silas were physically thrown into the prison, beaten to death. They're in the stocks. They're lying in the, the mold of the inner prison of the Roman prison. It's cold. Their bodies are shaking with pain. They're nearly dead. And they didn't consider themselves victims. They opened up their mouths and they praised God because he's so glorious. And then we know the story, Act 16. The doors open. Everyone in the prison gets saved. And the very people who just beat them up, they still don't see themselves as victims. They go and they share the love of Jesus and the gospel with those people. Instant forgiveness, no unforgiveness, no judgment, not walking in the sin of their brokenness, but saying, you know what? These people are loved by Jesus just as we are. They didn't fall into the trap of victimization. And again, it seems to be the word on the street. If I don't lean into what you feel or think, and it's a little bit different to what I feel or think, I become a victim of you. And your background, and we 
apart from one another. But if we can be positioned in Christ as his people, we will not fall into the strap of victimization. The enemy loves this, guys. If he can come and just whisper in your ear, you're a victim. He said this or she done that because you are this or that. They don't like you. He doesn't like you that much. He didn't greet you because he's got something against you. But you, you hear we just fall victim of things like this. Sometimes people are just in their worlds and they don't lean as much into your world as you would like them to. I want to read this to us. If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We don't have the full glory yet because Christ hasn't come back. Hebrews, we spoke about this. The fulfillment of the full promise is still to come. But for the meantime, can we position ourselves in Jesus, hidden with Christ in God? Imagine for a moment what it looks like. You and Jesus sitting together, wrapped around by our Father's love. That's your position. It doesn't matter what darts come, what things come your way. You will not be a victim because you have set your mind on things above. That's the invitation to each one of us this morning. And then I want to end just with the ultimate message, the weapon of grace. Grace is to make that which is impossible possible. Because of the cross, all these things I mentioned can be something of the past in our life. It is not by our own strength. It's backed by divine power. When we come to the cross and say, Jesus, you know what this unforgiveness in my heart, you've got to help me. He's so ready to help with his grace for you to forgive that person. Jesus, you know what? I really battle to not look at other people's success or breakthroughs or things that they have that I really want. He says, can you put your eyes back on me? I'll help you. It's the gospel of grace, the weapon of grace. Lord, there's sin. I'm just, I'm so broken. It's habitual. I fall into it every week. I try to get out of it and then it just happens again. Well, you know what? There's the weapon of grace. Can you come back to me? Lord, I like speaking about other people because it makes me feel good because I'm that insecure that when I make others look bad, my insecurity doesn't show that much. He says, can you find your security in me again? And don't you be a victim because you are seated in heavenly places. You are placed with me in the love of the Father. We are together in this. So you should not live in a victim mindset. That's what he's called his church to live in. And I don't know where you are at, but we're going to simply end this morning like this. Maybe you've got to make a list of things that God has revealed to you today that you should do, some actions, to release yourself of some of these things. Maybe the Lord is, and I believe he will reveal to some of us other strongholds that's holding us back. I just mentioned five. But the invitation for you today is, like Marcus, to think about this and say, God, these arguments have got the better of me. I'm going to release myself and take up the weapons of warfare that you have for, for me. And then let's all leave here today with the weapon of grace. Lord Jesus, thank you for your gospel. Thank you that your gospel has done what we could never do. 
And that's make a way back to the Father. But thank you that your gospel doesn't just work once and then it's done. The day of salvation is every day. It's available to us every day where you call us to think and to obey you in our thoughts so that we can set ourselves free from the things that's holding us back. Lord, I pray that you would, Holy Spirit, as we create some time and space here, speak to every heart and that we would be people who go out this week applying your word, not just be hearers of your word, but doers of your word, that we would hit that release button and set ourselves free from the things that's hold us back. Thank you, Jesus. I want to end this morning where I started. Today is the day of salvation. You've got the key to that in how you will walk it out once you leave these doors. Maybe you've got to confess. You don't have to confess to a pastor. You can confess to your spouse, to a brother, to a sister, anyone. You've just got to confess. Maybe you've got to encourage an exchange encouragement where there was gossip. Maybe you've got to reposition yourself in the fullness of what Christ has done. Go out here and let's be doers of the word. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would bless everyone and that this week would be a week where they could daily say, salvation has come. Lord, may they forgive others as you have forgiven them and may we just see a breakthrough come to every single person and we trust you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.